50 years ago, this coming Wednesday, those three words, Har Habayit Biadenu, were proclaimed for the world to hear. The Jewish people have returned to the city of Yerushalayim, to Har Habayit, to Mekom Hamikdash. And we're dedicating this show to that amazing event and this anniversary. It is Chavav Iyar, Tavshin Ayin Zayin. Coming to you live from the headquarters of Ariel Tours, I'm Mayor Weingarten. Welcome to this special edition of the Israel Show on the Nachum Siegel Network. And we are going to really make this different. We'll be playing a lot less music. And we're going to be focusing on the 50 years ago. The ago part. What happened back then? What was Israel like? What was Jerusalem like? And we're going to do so through the set of two eyes. You have Tzvi Yehuda Cohen Cook, the son of Rav Avram Yitzhak Cohen Cook, and words that he said on Yom Ha'atzma'ut in 1967, and then on the same night, the words of Naomi Shemer in a new song that she introduced to the Jewish world and to the Jewish people, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. As we are live, I can tell you that we are following in the background President Trump's visit. He is currently in the Church of the Sepulchre, a Catholic shrine, and from there he will continue to the Kotel. He will not be accompanied by any Israeli political leaders. That's probably a State Department thing. Um, He will be accompanied by his family, especially the Jewish members of his family. These are all things that you're going to hear about and see in the news and all over the place. Unless there's some major breaking news, we're going to stay away from that and we're going to really focus on what we came here today to do. And that is um, talk about Yom Yerushalayim and focus especially on um, these two things. Let us start. Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Let's go back in time. It is the 19th anniversary of the State of Israel. And on Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Yeshivat Merkaz Harav, the yeshiva that was founded by Rabbi Avram Yitzhak Cohen Cook, celebrates Yom Ha'atzma'ut. They have a major celebration because Yeshivat Merkaz Harav sees the State of Israel as itself a holy entity, a Malchut Yisrael, and a type of Malchut Yisrael. And Ritzvi Yehuda Cook talking about Mizmor Yutet, that's the name of the lecture, and suddenly he says the following, 19 years ago on that famous night, as the news of the UN vote reached us, that vote which would allow the state of Israel to be founded, when all of the people flowed into the streets and into the squares and danced with great joy, I, says Ruth I couldn't go out and join them. Yashavti badad, I sat alone va'edom, and I was silent kinet alalai. Well, there's a burden on my shoulders. It sounds strange. Here it is. The United Nations, all the nations of the world, have agreed that the Jewish people should have a state in the land of Israel. And Ritzvi Yehuda seems to be in mourning. Bo'otan sha'ot rishonot in those first hours. Gloyacholti lahashlimi manaseh, I couldn't make peace with what was happening. Of that terrible bisorah, that terrible notification that came. Why? Why does he consider that a terrible, a fear, frightful piece of information? Because Reb Tzvi Yehuda says, I saw a prophecy, the prophecy that appears in the beginning of Sefer Yoel, I saw that prophecy coming true. So we'll take now just a short detour. Let's take a look at the first few psukim in Perek Dalit of the book of Yoel in Treyasar. God, through the prophet Yoel, says, Days are coming, and I will redeem the people of Israel. In those days, in that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, now God says, when I'm going to do this, I have a bone to pick. I have something to talk to the nations of the world about. There needs to be a judgment day where the nations of the world will be castigated because of all the horrific things they've done to my people, to the Jewish people, over the generations. So I will gather them all. Listen to the name, Yehoshaphat. God will judge. 
It is the valley between Har HaMoriah and Har HaZaytim. Today we call Nachal Kidron. V'nishpateti imam sham alami v'nachlati Yisrael. There, I will contend with them. I will have a, like a trial with them about my very own people, Israel. Asher pizru v'agoyim vet artzi What did they do to my people? They scattered them amongst the nations. And they divided my land, the land of Israel, amongst themselves. Just to continue the, the idea of how terribly the nations of the world treated the Jewish people, they bartered a boy for a prostitute and sold a girl for wine, which they then drank. So Rav Tzvi Yehuda says, this is what's happening now. Ve'et artzi chileku. This day of reckoning, God is going to judge the nations of the world because they divided up the land of Israel and gave pieces to different nations. And that's how Rotsvi Yehuda saw the partition. Remember, it was a partition of the land of Israel by the United Nations into two states. And which part of the land of Israel did the UN, did the leaders of the world give away to the other nations, the heartland, the heartland of the Jewish people, Hebron, Shechem, Yericho, Yerushalayim. So, let's co- continue the words of Rav Tzvi Yehuda. He was so dejected, he was so upset, he was so sad during the moments when the people of Israel were all celebrating that the UN, but three years after the Holocaust, agreed to establish a state for the Jewish people in the land of Israel. Rav Tzvi Yehuda was, was in solitude, was crying, he was silent. Continuing the quote from Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kuk, on, on Yom HaAtzma'ut, 19 years ago, three weeks before the Six-Day War, he says as follows, I'll play you the recording. It is very hard to hear. It's a really old recording. But <clears throat> if you listen carefully and you know what he's saying, you know the words now, you can hear the pain. He's pained. He's crying out. Where is our Hevron? Where is our Shem? Efokol Regev Viregev. Every clump of dirt, kol chelik v'chelik, every portion, shall arba amot shall eretz Hashem, of the four amot of God's land that has been taken away from us. Habiyadeinu levater, al eze millimeter mehem, do we have the right to just let go, to be mevater, chalila v'chas v'shalom. Now, sitting in that audience, amazingly, the students of Rav Yehuda, saw his anguish. Those same students that were sitting in the audience that night, people like Rav Yoel Benun and Hanan Parad Yoel Benun Arukim, and others, were actually three weeks later. Those very same people were the soldiers that liberated Yerushalayim. And in an interview, and I thank Saul Lieberman for calling it to my attention, an interview this past weekend, Rav Yobinun says, we felt it. We felt there was something there. Why did he start even talking about it? He was not talking about the subject, and suddenly, out of the blue, he started saying, And don't forget, three weeks before the war, the, the Egyptian army still hadn't gone into Sinai. It happened the next day. There was no concept of, who was thinking about it? Nobody. Nobody was thinking about these places. Nobody was thinking about the old city of Yerushalayim. And that's part of what we will discuss in a moment. Let me play for you this clip of Rav Tzvi Yehuda. Again, it's very hard to hear, but it starts with Ve'et Artsi Chileku, and then he says, Eifo Chavron Shalanu, and Achshav Shochechim Etzeh, Eifo Shchem Shalanu, and so forth. So you got to listen carefully. Rav 
Yoel Benun in the interview that he gave this past uh, weekend, he's asked by the by the interviewer, Mazen Nevoah, you think that Rav Yehuda had Nevoah, had prophecy? He said, no, obviously not. There's no Nevoah in our times. He said, but it was Ruach HaKodesh. Yom Ma'ut, 1967. The next day begins three weeks of, what can one say, total concern around the Jewish world. The Egyptian army begins moving into the Sinai. Egypt actually takes over the Jordanian army. The Jordanian military is now in control of an Egyptian general, threatening now Israel from both sides. And the people in Israel are really scared, and rightfully so. Small country, only 19 years old, don't have yet the sophisticated armaments that we have today. Had simple fighter jets from France, Mirage jets. People were concerned that there would be another Holocaust. Just a few years after World War II, Jews around the world were trembling. That's what you have to have in your mind when you think about that time. I think people know that during this period, the lead up to the Six Day War, there was such a concern about the outcome of this war that the Hevra Kadisha in Yerushalayim had people digging graves so that they should be ready, so they should be able to accommodate all the dead. You imagine, you imagine the feeling that people are having when they see that this is, this is going on. They're digging our graves, literally. And another thing happens on that very same Yom HaAtzma'ut, 1967, Hey ER, three weeks before the Six-Day War. And we'll devote most of the show to a discussion about the song that debuted that night, about five minutes away from where Tzvi Yehuda Cook was. In Binyanei Ha'uma. Teddy Kollek, in early 1967, was elected mayor of Jerusalem about two years before that. And Kollek wants to create buzz about Yerushalayim. He, he, he was a master of PR. Now, how about a new song focusing on the city? That would be a good idea. And a great venue would be the very popular National Song Festival. Festival Hazemer that always took place on Yom HaTzma'ut. At this Festival Zemmer, people would present debut songs. I think there were 10 songs. And then the audience would vote which song was the best, and they would have number one, number two, number three. But Teddy Kolak said, I don't want, I want a song about Yerushalayim. I don't want it to be part of the contest. I don't want it to be like a number one, number two, and all that. I want it to be separate. I want a song to be presented while the voting is going on. I want to have a song that will be presented to, to Israel. All of the people in Israel usually would listen on the radio. There was no television in Israel yet. So this was a big audience, and, and Teddy Kolak approached several composers, and everybody turned them down. And finally, Naomi Shemer is convinced to give it a try, and she reluctantly agrees. We'll take a break just to tell you that uh, President Trump is now approaching the Kotel. He's wearing a kippah. He has by his side his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who's wearing a kippah, and his, Jared's wife, Ivanka, who's wearing a head covering. He's speaking to Suli Eliav, who's the head of the Kotel, um, the, the, the operation that, is, that runs the Kotel and the tunnels, is headed by him and on the other and he's being uh, presented um, archaeological piece and on the other side of him is the rabbi of the Kotel, Rav Rabinovich. And um, I'm sure you will see tons of pictures and video clips of this moment. People were wa- wondering whether President Trump would wear a kippah or not. He is. He's accompanied by his wife Melania. In the back is Secretary of State Tillerson. And from what I see, Suli Eliav, known by everybody as Suli, is explaining to him, to the president, the history of the archaeology of the area with the help of um, illustrations that he is showing him one after the other. Okay, back to our Yom Yerushalayim celebration here. So Nomi Shemer agrees. 
reluctantly to write a song, a song about Yerushalayim. Remember, this is on no, and nobody's thinking about Yerushalayim, and Teddy Kolak needs to find a way to to boost, to give Yerushalayim a boost. So she writes this song. There are three parts to the song. The first mainly describes the natural beauty of Yerushalayim. Then she goes on to describe the current state of Yerushalayim. Now, the current state means 1967, early 1967, before the Six-Day War, a divided Yerushalayim. And lastly, Nomi Shemer shares her emotions, how she feels as she is writing a song about Yerushalayim. So let's imagine now, together, that we're entering Yerushalayim. In 1967, early 1967, the sun is going down. It's a magical time when the cool air blows and the colors are refracted off the unique Yerushalayim stones. It creates a very special sensation. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And as we enter Yerushalayim, Yerushalayim surrounds us. It ignites our senses. Avir harim tzalul kayayin vireach oranim the mountain air is crisp, clear as wine. is carried by the gentle wind of the twilight with the sounds of the chiming bells. So we, what are the senses that we sense that Yerushalayim hits us with? We feel the breeze. We can almost taste the wine. We smell the pine trees. We hear the bells tolling. Yerushalayim is an experience. We experience it on all levels. We're intoxicated by its physical attributes. Tardemat Ilan Evan as the night falls, the trees and the stones are sleeping. Tardema. Shfuya Bachaloma. As they're sleeping, she, Yushalayim, is a prisoner of her dream. Ha'irasher Badad Yoshevet, the city that sits alone, Uvilibachoma, and a wall runs through her. At that time Yushalayim was a sleepy, quiet city. Yushalayim is like a like a sleeping beauty. You know, at 10 o'clock, the streets were empty, the stores were closed. And here, in, this, in these words, we start hearing the echoes of sadness. Ha'ir asher badad yoshevet. Comes from Eicha, the lamentation. The song that, the, the Megillah that we read on Tisha B'Av as we lament the destruction of Yerushalayim. Eicha yashva badad ha'ir rabati am. Haitaka Almana is the Pasuk and the words here Ha'ir Asher Badad Yoshevet are clearly the reference to that first Pasuk in Eicha. Uvilibachoma, not talking about the old city walls. The Yushalayim of nineteen sixty seven is split. There's a border wall that splits the city, a heavy cement walls that rip through her heart. You know, her heart can't function if there's a blockage. Jerusalem can't be fully alive in this current state. So in the first stanza, we feel the beauty, the physical beauty. And in the second stanza, we begin to feel the sadness. It's hard for us today, anyone who has been to Yerushalayim over the last 40 years, let's say, it's hard for us to even imagine what the city was like before. A border town. Jordanian soldiers are on top of the old city walls, shooting, sniping into the Jewish western part of the city. This barbed wire and concrete walls winding along the border area, cutting off Yerushalayim. It's a very sad, it's very gray, benighted, sparsely populated. It's a poor backwater town. That is Yerushalayim until the Six-Day War. That's the Yerushalayim that Naomi Shemer sees. The residents, mostly indigent, government clerks, Pekidim, employees of the Hebrew University and several Haredi communities. And you know, it's the official capital of Israel, but in truth, the central, vibrant, growing city in Israel is Tel Aviv. And when she sets out to write her song, that is the Yerushalayim she sees 
and she's crying about Yerushalayim she sees. And if you're not sure that she is echoing the Megillah Eicha, the Megillah of destruction, the Megillah of sadness of Yerushalayim, just let us look at the first word of the next stanza. <laughs> Eicha, Yavshu Barot HaMayim. Eicha, right after she says, Ha'ir Asher Badad Yoshevet, the next stanza starts with Eicha. She's crying out. Yavshu Barot HaMayim. You know, there's no life without a complete heart, we said. And if there's a wall that goes through the heart and creates a blockage, then the heart can't continue to beat. What else symbolizes life, especially in Israel? Water. When there's no water in Israel, there can't be life. Life seems to have come to a stop, she says. The water cisterns are dried out. There's no water. There's no commerce. There's no prayer. The plaza of the shuk is empty, which is commerce. And no one visits the Temple Mount. There's no prayer. The word poked has two meanings. The biblical Hebrew word poked usually means remember. In later Hebrew, it can also mean visit. And obviously, those two are related. You remember somebody when you visit him, by visiting him. And, and Naomi Shemer knows that the ultimate metaphor for religious Jerusalem is Harabayit, which is amazing, considering that at that moment, Harabayit was not even a distant dream in anyone's mind in the early part of 67. And she continues in her emotional and beautiful description of a horrific situation, of a destroyed Yerushalayim. Oh, let's actually play that. Sorry about that. Haunting howls. It's a metaphor for an utter state of destruction, the howling in the empty caverns. Now, I say that this song that Naomi Shema wrote is a modern-day tefillah. You see, you started seeing, and we'll see more later, how this tefillah calls from our sources, from Eicha we spoke about. It calls from Gmarot, from Midrashim, from Tanakh. And if it's a modern prayer, what type of prayer is it? What is Nomi Shema writing here? And I think that it's obvious. She's writing a kinah. You could add this to the keynote that we say on Tishabav about Yerushalayim, the destroyed and the, the empty. It's a lamentation. It's a Jew, an Israeli, Naomi Shemer, heartbroken by the sight of this once glorious city. And she quotes the opening line of Eicha to evoke the bitter morning. So, part one, we said, describes the beauty, the dreamlike beauty, the otherworldliness of Jerusalem, the sleeping beauty. Her heart is broken. The second part portrays the sad realism of the, of the state of Jerusalem. Dry, empty, hauntingly quiet, cut off. And then in the next stanza, Naomi Shemer goes on to describe her feelings. She's writing this kina, this lamentation. I wonder if Teddy Kolak had in mind this type of song. She's crying over Yerushalayim. And yet, she's always remembering Yerushalayim shel zahav v'shel nechoshet v'shel or. The first few um, clips that we played were from Ari Goldweg's beautiful cover of Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. And now we're switching to a different cover. This one is from Arik Einstein um, for the next uh, few stanzas. <laughs> But as I attempt to sing about you, Yerushalayim, says Naomi Shemer, to adorn you, to crown you, like with a tiara, yet I'm the smallest of the smallest of your children, and of all the poets that preceded me. What she's saying, I'm not competent. I'm not worthy to sing your prayers. I'm not able to stand where the greats of Jewish history stood and praised you. David, the Nevi'im, the Paitanim, Yehuda Halevi. Who am I? She was pretty good, actually. 
Not comparing, but she was pretty good. But that's what she says. I'm Katonti. If you remember when Yaakov leaves Lavan and is about to meet with his brother Esav, he says to God, I'm not adequate. I'm not really worthy of all the greatness that you did. So she says, Katonti. That's where the Katonti is coming from. What is Likshork Tarim? It's an interesting phrase. As I come to sing to you, Lashir Lach Valach Likshork Tarim, again, Naomi Shemer is, is calling in on the Midrashim and the Gemarot. The Gemara in Shabbat, Peichet Amar Aleph, says, Darash Rabbi Simai, B'Sha'ashe Higdimu Yisrael Na'aseh L'Nishma, At Har Sinai, when the Jewish people said Na'aseh first, before they said Nishma, they said Na'aseh V'Nishma, Ba'u Shishim Wibosho Malachi Asharet, 600,000 angels came, because there were 600,000 Jews, L'Chol Achad V'Echad Mi Yisrael, to each Jew, one Malach for each Jew, Kashru Lo Shnei Kitarim, so here you have a concept of Likshork Tarim as being an adornment, to adorn somebody. So she's saying, as I am writing the song about you and trying to praise and adorn you. And then there's another Gemara, very interesting. The If you look in the Sefer Torah, the way it is written, some of the letters have little, they're called tagim, have little lines on top. Some have three lines. The Gemara, both in Shabbat Peitet and in Menachot Tafchaf Teramudbet says, Amar Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi, B'Sha'asha Alam Moshe Lamarom, when Moshe reached the heavens, Matz'ol HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he saw, he find that HaKadosh Baruch Hu busy, Shaya Kosher Ketarim La'otiyot, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was putting the k'tarim, the crowns, on the letters, meaning those tagim. And here again, you see, kosher k'tarim being something that you adorn. God was adorning the letters. And she takes these two sources and says, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to adorn you. I'm trying to praise you. But yet, katonti, I'm not worthy. And we move on. Kishmech Tzorel V'Tazpatayim Kineshikat Zarav Imeshkachech Yerushalayim Asher Kula Zarav Kishmech Tzorel V'Tazpatayim Merely uttering your name, Shmech, shame Tzorel V'Tazpatayim scorches my lips Kineshikat Saraf, Like the kiss of a Saraf. We'll, we'll look at that in a moment. If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, that is all of gold. So after she declares her unworthiness, she's saying, it's not only that I'm not worthy of writing a song about Yerushalayim, it's that it pains me. Like, like we saw of Tzvi Yehuda, who it was painful to him that parts of Eretz Yisrael were ripped away. He was crying out, People who were there say it was a cry that you felt it was coming from the depths of his, of his despair. Naomi Shemer says, not only am I not worthy, it is painful for me. It hurts me even to say your name. Kishmech, your name, Tzorev etasfataim. It scorches my lips. Kineshikat saraf. And I believe that there are two sources here that Nomi Shemer is, is calling. In Sefer Bamidbar Parak Aleph, we're taught a story about the snakes. God wants to punish the Jewish people and he sends snakes and they bite the Jews. And if somebody's bitten by the snake, he dies. And many people died. And then, in order to stop this terrible occurrence, God says, Make a saraf, a type of snake, and put it on a, on a stick, on a banner, to be like a flag. 
If somebody is then bitten by the snake, he'll look up at that snake that you have on a pole and he will live. So what's a saraf? Saraf is a snake. And it bites. And when it bites, it hurts. So Shmech Tsorevitasfataim Kinishikat Saraf. When I mention your name, it's as if I'm being bitten by this saraf. But where do the svataim, the lips? It scorches my lips, she says. So let's take a look at the beginning of Sefer Yishayahu, Perak Vav, the sixth Perak in Yishayahu, a very famous one. Shayao describes a, a, a fascinating prophetic vision that he has. He sees, he's in the Mikdash, he's in the Holy Temple, and he sees God as if sitting on a chair, high, high up. Seraphim umdimimalo. What are seraphim here? Not snakes. No, here seraphim means angels. Seraphim vofanea kodesh. We say in the tefillah. And then Yeshayahu continues. One of these angels flies over to me. Uviado ritzpa, a coal, a hot, charred coal. Bemelkachaim lakach mal mizbech. He took from the mizbech and the beta mikdash with tongs. He takes this hot coal, vayaga alpi, and he puts it to my mouth, and my lips are burning. Vayomer hinei nagazel sefatecha. Now that this touched your lips, v'sar avonecha v'chatotecha techupar, v'chatatcha techupar. So Naomi Shemer is playing with the word saraf. Saraf is a snake that bites. Saraf is an angel, the angel of Yishayahu that scorches his lips. And lisrof also means to burn. Saraf, saraf, saraf. When I merely mention your name, Yerushalayim, it burns my lips. Tzorevet asfataim, kinishikat saraf. Either like the kiss of the angel, or like the bite of the snake. Either way. The pain is terrible. And then she ends with the famous oath that the Jewish people take when they're exiled to Babel. She takes that first part, And then there's the refrain, this we're taking from, uh, to give credit, from Naftali Herstig's cover of... Um, of Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, the famous refrain. Yerushalayim Shel Zahav v'shel Nechoshet v'shel Or, that phrase, Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, is a combination of two Gmarot, I don't know how this lady knew so much Gemara, truly. The Gemara in Nidarim tells a famous story of Rabbi Akiva, who marries the daughter of the very rich Kalba Savua. When Kalba Savua heard that she, his daughter is marrying this lowly Akiva, before he, he became great, Adrahana Amakol Nirsei, he wrote her out of the will, meaning he stopped, he stopped supporting them. So they went, and they lived in a barn, and they slept on the hay. In the morning, one morning, Rabbi Akiva gets up and he's removing the hay from her hair. And he thinks about how he would love, instead of the hay in her hair, to adorn her head with something. And he says, If I could afford it, I would buy for you Yerushalayim did the hava. The hava in Aramaic, Zahav, I would buy for you Yerushalayim of gold. What is the Yerushalayim of gold? It is like a tiara that depicts a city. I mean, you can imagine it like a piece of jewelry today that would have like domes and, um, you know, different... um, places, famous landmarks of Jerusalem that are part of this 
of this uh, piece of jewelry. And it seems in those days that was not unusual. In fact, the Gemara on Shabbat discusses whether a woman is allowed to wear that on Shabbat when she's walking in Rishud Harabim in a place where there's no Eruv. Is that considered a Tachshit or, or not? And then it would be considered carrying, which is a Surah on Shabbat. So the Gemara on Shabbat Tafnun says, Tanu Rabbanan lo shel zahav. So here it's a more general category. A city of gold. Now I'm sure they made this type of crown, this type of tiara for women, this jewelry, with many different cities. You know, they had one, <laughs> I'm sure, in Rome, and in Athens, and in all the other great cities of the time. You could buy it at the airport on your way out, you know. My Be'ir Shel Zahav, the Gemara says, what is an ear of Zahav? The Gemara is asking to define that. Like Yerushalayim of gold that Rabbi Akiva made for his wife. It seems that he eventually did make one for his wife. So this phrase is not doesn't appear. Yerushalayim shel zahav as a phrase doesn't appear exactly that way in the Gemara. But she takes Yerushalayim did dahava and be'ir shel zahav, ir shel zahav, and combines them into her unique phrase, Yerushalayim shel zahav, v'shel nechoshet v'shel or. There was in the Beit HaMikdash a Mizbeach, an altar of zahav inside, and outside there was an altar of nechoshet. Yerushalayim shel zahav v'shel nechoshet, and we also know the great Medrash, Yerushalayim oro shel olam. Yerushalayim is the beacon of light for the whole world. It is Yushalayim Shel Zahav V'Nechoshet V'Or. In fact, we are taught by the Mishnah in Midot that the windows in the building of the Beit HaMikdash, in the building, the windows were narrow on the inside and wide on the outside. Usually you build the window the other way around. You want the wide part inside, so it brings in a lot of, excuse me, a lot of light. But being that Yerushalayim is Orshel Olam, Yerushalayim gives out, it emits light to the world. The windows in the Beit HaMikdash were the other way around. They were narrow on the inside and they, they widened toward the outside to bring more light to the world from the holiness of the Beit HaMikdash. Yerushalayim shel Zahav, v'shel Nechoshet, v'shel Or. Halo l'chol shiraich ani kinor. And this is clearly a reference to one of the keynote that we say, that we say on Tisha B'Av. And if you had any question that this is a kina, so notice that it's ending, that the refrain ends with this. Reference to Yehuda HaLevi's Tzion Haloti Shali, one of the most famous keynote that we have, where Yehuda HaLevi says, Livkot enutech anitanim ve'eit echlom shivat shvutech I cry over you like a jackal, but when I dream about the return, I am like a harp, a liar actually, L-Y-R-E. And where does that come from? So she took it from Yehuda Levi. Where did Yehuda Levi get that from? And that would be from Yechezkel Chavav. There, Yechezkel is talking about the destruction of Yerushalayim. They'll destroy the walls, and your beloved homes. They'll, they'll take everything of value, the stones, the trees the ground, and they'll throw it into water so it will be unusable. It'll be destroyed. Yerushalayim will, will be destruction. V'hishbati, I will stop. Hamon shiraich, the sounds of your songs. V'kol kinoraich lo yishama od. So when God is cursing Yerushalayim, he says the sound of the lyres, the sound of the instruments, will not be heard any longer. Comes Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi and says, Ani kinor When I remember and dream about the return to you, I am the kinor. 
The Kinar is no longer silent, as Yechezkel was saying. And that's how she ends her refrain. Hello, Lechol Shiraich, Ani Kinor. Well, the song on Yom Atzmaut 1967 was introduced to the Israeli public. Remember, they never heard the words Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. They weren't thinking about Yerushalayim. And they're they doing this crazy thing. After all the songs in the song contest are finished, they're debuting a new song because Teddy Kolak asked them to do it. And Omi Shem writes it. And the, this is the announcer introducing the song Yerushalayim Shel Zahav on that night, Yom HaAtzmaut, 1967, three weeks before the Six-Day War, introducing this new song. And he says... Look, Teddy Kalak wants it. Who are we to say no? And he mentions that Nomi Shemer wrote it. She wrote the words. She wrote the melody. And it's going to be performed by a young, unknown woman by the name of Shuli Natan, who Naomi Shemer handpicked to sing this song. And listen, when we play the song at the end, you'll listen. She sings just her voice and a guitar. There's a huge orchestra on the stage, unused for this song. But here's the debut. Let me just play for you this historic moment. וקיבלנו את השיר אשר אותו תשמיע הערב שולי נתן המלווה עצמה בגיטרה. שולי נתן. כרגיל מילים ומנגינה נעמי שמר ושמו של השיר ירושלים של זהב. On that Yom Ha'atzma'ut, the song was a huge hit. People were literally crying when they heard it. It went viral, we would say today. And three weeks after the song's debut, the Six-Day War breaks out. Yushalayim is no longer divided and the soldiers are arriving to Har Habayit. What song did they sing? Hatikva and Yushalayim Shel Zahav. And many felt the song was almost like a prophecy in the same way that the students of Rev. Tzvi Yehuda who heard him that night felt the same. And it becomes Israel's national anthem. And as Yerushalayim is liberated, people ask Naomi Shemer to write another stanza to her song in order to reflect the new reality that is that we've returned, that the city is no longer divided. And she hesitates. Because in her mind, the song is a kinah. It's a lamentation. And to start now a new stanza that would be a celebration would not fit with the song. But the pressure is so great, and she does it. And she writes two paragraphs, which basically undo, sentence by sentence, what she said before. Echayev shu barot the water cisterns were dry, she wrote, Shofar The shofar is blown on Har Habayit. Instead of Instead of I'm gonna play to end off this show, I'm going to play that original version of Yerushalayim Shil Zahav that Shuli Natan sang on that night. But a final thought. On the 19th anniversary of Israel's independence, 5 ER, 1967, very few people were thinking of Yerushalayim. There's testimony of uh, Tzahal generals, IDF generals, that the Central Command had no serious military plan ready to liberate the old city. Believe it or not, Revyal Benun says they didn't have proper maps of where they're going. It wasn't on anyone's radar. Culturally, 
There were a few, if any, songs about the loss of Yerushalayim in 1948 and the hope of returning to her. It wasn't in people's thoughts. It's also well documented that the Israel, that Israel's leadership at the time, the government that knew they were going to a war with Egypt, did not want to liberate Jerusalem in 1967. Famously, the government sent more than one message to the king of Jordan, stay out of the war and we won't touch you. And even on that very morning, the night between Chavzayin and Chavchet, as the night progresses, the government still does not decide that they're going to enter the old city. They're not sure what to do. And Menachem Begin, Allah Shalom, and Yigal alone force the hand of Levi Eshkol and say, you must, how could we not do this? How could we not return to Yerushalayim if we have the opportunity? Believe it or not, the night before, the government still was not thinking of returning to the old city of Yerushalayim. Yet, three weeks before that, Naomi Shemer offers up a prayer and on that very same Yom Ma'ut, as we said, not far from B'nai maybe five minutes away, Rabbi Tzvi Yehuda Kuk speaks to his yeshiva at the Yom Ma'ut celebration and cries out, Eifo Chevron Shalanu, Eifo Shechem Shalanu. The Gra, the Gon Rebellion Vilna, teaches us that Eretz Yisrael and the Geula come from above, but only after we do our part here in the world below. So who knows? Maybe we needed the cries of Rav Tzvi Yehuda in the yeshiva world and the prayer, the kina, the song of Nomi Shemer in the general world to ignite our yearnings for Yerushalayim. And who knows? Maybe their voices were not some sort of premonition of liberation. Maybe liberation needed our voices. And in that light, in its most basic sense, the statement Harabayit Biadenu as a description of current events is simply not true anymore. Sadly, we don't really control Harabayit, although we have sovereignty over it. But it is true as an imperative. Harabayit Biadenu. What happens on Harabayit is in our hands. It is our choice. It is. Thank you so much for joining this special edition of The Israel Show. I thank the staff of the Nachum Siegel Network, and my very special thanks, as always, to Nachum Siegel, who continues his week of broadcasting in Israel. Stay tuned to the Nachum Siegel Network and everything that's going to be offered, including the beautiful Yom Yerushalayim special, the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Yerushalayim. Until next Monday following JM and AM, this is Mayor Weingarten reminding you that nice guys do not finish last. They're just running in a different race.
出。